Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Lovelies, and welcome to an extra special royal episode of Whining About Hearst, where we are joined by daughter, father, writing, and podcasting team, Emily and John Jordan. They are the minds behind the book War Queens and the podcast by the same name. So if you want to learn about women who took charge and maybe have a body count, you definitely need to listen. But before you do... You need to listen to them on our podcast because we're going to have a conversation. If you're already here, don't leave. Yeah, Wait no, and then leave. And yeah, yeah th- this is the amuse bouche, and then you you start mainlining them on uh, on Spotify, Apple, and wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And I'm also and, uh, Emily. There's another yep. Emily. We're going to have to keep you two uh, straight and apart. I'm John, so the token male in the group today. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, I, I was very excited because uh, they, they first popped on. Emily had a small dog in her lap. I was like, not only is her name Emily, but she has a tiny dog. She might be my soulmate. <laughs> and then she proceeded to freak out about the dog without even saying hello to Emily. Hey, it was, it was a thing. Anyone who knows me knows that is just the order in which I do things. I don't know most of my neighbors' names. I know their dogs' names, though. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Happy is next door. Teddy's next door. I don't know their owner's names. Right? Yep. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Raleigh. That's and and that's just say Sadie's mom. Raleigh's dad. Exactly. And John, you might have the prestigious esteem of being the first male on our podcast. I think you're the first you gentleman we have interviewed. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to podcast. be here for uh, chromosomal diversity. Yeah. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for coming and, on as uh, our minority. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and for drinking diversity. Today, uh, today rum is the drink of choice. So that's perfect. Great drink perfect. Of choice. Let's see how it blends in. Our token token male and uh token liquor drinker. So now we can officially <laughs> say that we are not sexist. <laughs> <laughs> it's about damn time. This is what, 180 uh 179 episodes? 171? S- something 70, in that range. Something, yeah. <laughs> All right, I don't. we finally bring in a guy. Okay. Appreciate Almost it. four years in. Um, well, thank you both so <laughs> much for joining us. We're huge fans of the podcast and the book. We and we just have some questions that we'd like to ask you and pick your brains a little and have our listeners get to know you a little more. Yeah, so let's We'd start. Love to. Let's, yeah. Let's do it. Let's start with probably the easiest question of the day. Well, um, if you guys want to just tell us a little bit about yourselves and your history, that would be great. Em, go for it. Sure. So uh, my name is Emily Jordan. Um, I'm living in uh, Lexington, Kentucky right now. That's where I went to the University of Kentucky. I'm working as a nurse um, on a psych unit. Um, And I helped write War Queens. We wrote this when I was a sophomore in high school is when we really got started. Um, And it has been this really amazing journey I've gotten to do with my dad um, while I go through a lot of changes in life. Uh, So it's been really great to get to be close with him uh, while I transition to college and getting engaged and all kinds of fun life things. So that's me. First of all, really quick, congratulations on your engagement. (laughs) Exactly. That was what I was going to do. Also, God bless you for being a nurse, let alone being a nurse in a psych unit. I had actually interviewed uh, for a job as a 
like not nurse support person at a, at the local uh, psychiatric hospital. And one of the interview questions is like, so what would you do if someone threw a chair at you? I was like, that's, that's I've ticked that off the bingo dog? board already. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what's the answer, Emily? What do you do if someone throws a chair at you? You dodge. You <laughs> uh, quick duck. Um, but your chairs are weighted, aren't they? Yeah, we have 60 pound chairs, so you really got a duck. Oh, um, Lord. They're, they're ready yeah. for that one. Yeah, still seen them go flying. Um, but you, you, you protect yourself, then you protect that person who is obviously going through an understandably hard time enough that they feel the need to throw a chair. Yep. A 60 um, pound chair. <laughs> yes. That's you figure out what type of. Like. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What, what did you answer the question? Oh, um, I think mine was first to make sure that anyone else in the room was safe. Like if there were other patients, like get them oh. out of harm's way and then deescalate the situation. And the, the person interviewing me was like, I would have also accepted duck as an answer. <laughs> and I'm like, wasn't really there yet. <laughs> I, honestly, I'm not that coordinated and graceful. If a chair's coming at me, it's either going to miss me or hit me. Yeah. You, you know, your your answer beat out mine, which was going to be run for the door, grab under the doorknob and start crying until someone opens it. <laughs> Did they lock the door in this scenario? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, John, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. I'm uh, right now uh, standing in the middle of the hip hop capital of the South Atlanta, Georgia. I work as uh, my, my day job is as a corporate bankruptcy lawyer for one of those uh, big uh, kind of soulless firms. Uh, we've, uh, but I've been interested in, in history for a long time. It's a lot more fun than lawyering. And uh, so uh, uh, I started writing history about, uh, I guess I was like 25, 26. I just read a lot about it and then eventually realized there seems to be a pattern to the way certain authors write magazine articles. I started trying to do that, figured out it wasn't rocket science, and then moved on to books. And uh, so I uh, moved through a bunch of World War II and, and Texas history stuff uh, before moving on to the Dream Project, which was the War Queens, which I uh, got to work with my uh, my Dream co-author. So it's been a, a fun ride. And uh Hey, it's 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 a blast to do. Dad, can you say dream co-author one more time for both my siblings to hear? <laughs> dream co-author of equal status in my heart with <laughs> big sister and little brother. Such a lawyerly way to express your love. <laughs> it's like a little asterisk. <laughs> well, yeah. it's, it's almost uh, Christmas and New Year's and I'm going to see them. So uh, I, I don't want to take shit from them around the holidays. <laughs> I mean, that would require them to listen to this podcast, <laughs> which true. if they're not, I think that changes the rankings. I think that has a strong effect on the it's rankings. True. That That is that is very true. Now, one of them studying over in Germany right now, so he may, we can give him a pass. If nothing else, just because the, well, I guess with podcast time zone doesn't really matter. So maybe he doesn't get a pass. Absolutely not. Nine. He was the, one, he, he was the, uh, Zeleni, the, the Gen Z who, when we were doing the recording at the, at the we did it uh, for the podcast at this hip hop studio where like Beyonce and Post Malone and all these other people have recorded. I mean, he it was, it's amazing, uh, got an amazing pedigree. Wow. And he was the one there to like, make sure I didn't screw up the names of uh, 
of, of rappers when I was trying to impress the technicians, like, you know, Creed Malone and, uh, you know, stuff like that. Oh, my goodness. I love it. Wait, how do you say it? Post Malin? Is it Maloney? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They call me Cardi, Barty, Bangin' Body, Spicy Mommy, Hot Tamale, Hotter. That You know, he made sure that wow. I, I got the lyrics right. Excellent. So, uh, as mentioned, you are a daughter-father writing team. What is that like working together? Because I, I love my father very dearly. I don't know if I could write a book with him. Or do most other collaborative projects with him. Especially over that, like, long of a span. I feel like me and my my father would probably get sick of each other, I'll be yeah. honest. So I think well, it's great. You know, the, the book actually, I guess the book technically started uh, back in 1999 when Emily's mom and I made sure that Emily was born. Um, we were both, uh, we were in New Orleans. We were drunk at the time. And, no, no, uh, we, can, we can move on. <laughs> okay, all right. Fast forward a little your, bit. Your um, the, process, <laughs> the process of the book, I'd say my dad was a lot like my, my coach because he was also mentoring me through the process of, okay, how do I cite things correctly? What is the editing process? Um, of course, the research process. So a lot of it, um, definitely was my dad encouraging me to keep going with this because this started as a Google search of can women lead in times of war? Uh, he was always writing um, history books growing up and I wanted to know, you know, were women involved in these kind of things as well? And when we decided to actually make it a book, I definitely needed encouragement along the way, needed someone to push me every now and then. So um, it, you know, it was hard. I'd have basketball practice, orchestra practice, and then I'd come home and I'd want to just veg out and watch Survivor or something with my yeah. sister. But sometimes it came down to like, hey, we got to get through a couple more chapters this week. Let's push harder today. Let's work on this. So um, I don't think it was ever an argument thing. It was just definitely we had to push each other in some ways um, and had to kind of bring our two points of view and our styles together. So a lot of good discussions with that. But that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure on all of your college applications, you were putting like literally wrote a book, right? <laughs> so I'm getting in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had to, I had to put it under projects because it got released yep. in 2020. I, I okay. started in 2017. Um, but yeah, if I apply to grad school though, that's at the top right. of the list. Yeah. Like extensive history in research. Yep. <laughs> Yes. All caps, bold, wrote a fucking book. Yes. <laughs> what else do you yeah. need to know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that Although is amazing. The release of the book, the, the release of the book was, uh, do you remember what day it was released, Emily? Um, it was right around my birthday. Yeah, but it, it was March the 10th. I do. It's March the 10th, 2020. And on March the 13th, 2020, when the Wall Street Journal reviewed the book on page 28, page one said, President declares virus emergency. So that was the week the whole country shut down. And so Emily and I had to give a speech at the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library. And there were like 12 people there. They were all spread out. Everybody's wondering if they're going to get you know, bat flew from each other and died. <laughs> and then the world shut down after that. So, uh, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of book speaking to do. So, you know, might as well think about uh, podcasting. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of podcasts that can thank, I, I mean, a lot of children too, that can thank their conception 
to the virus and the pandemic. True. (laughs) Hopefully not to our podcast, but to someone else. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're not going for that kind of uh, thing with the podcast. It's very chill. Sort of low-key kind of uh, talk about really incredible women who have done some amazing stuff in what is typically thought of as the men's playground, uh, war, battles. And uh, what we focused on was not just uh, battles like, you know, where they run in charging like, you know, Mulan or something, Mm -hmm. but where they made the uh, political decisions, where they, they had to make the decision, do I lead my people who are following me? into war and do we make peace and under what terms do we make peace and so um you know it was uh not sure how we got on we got onto this tangent but uh basically it was uh you know a pretty interesting thought process to say the least and and a really a blast well john i do just want to warn you this is a tangent free podcast we do not accept that kind of shenanigans <laughs> i figured you're gonna just edit this part out along with all the f words we drop it's your worst guess for that it's the funniest thing we can't talk on the phone because we'll talk each other to death we have to find other people who can keep us on task oh that's funny oh no that is so we're inflicting totally it on fine. you guys at the moment oh no yeah. like we're like half of our podcast is a tangent. So we're it's actually only about that. 10 minutes of historical content per hour and a half episode. Uh, the rest is us talking about our dogs and the weather. <laughs> and, and trying to figure out where countries are on the map. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, well, and as, as you guys know um, from uh, from the episode on, uh, I think it was, uh, yay, Asante Way. Um, you know, sometimes the pronunciation is also something you got to try to figure out. Not oh, just, yeah. we, and in our case, we had uh, like like uh, Emily mentioned that uh, Queen Tamar of uh, Georgia. We could talk about with uh, true pronunciations because we were in Georgia at the time, but just a Georgia ten thousand miles away. <laughs> a lot of these people, you know, what did they look like? You know, what did Cleopatra look like? Who knows for sure. What, how do you pronounce uh, Tamiris's name? Not really sure. We're not even sure what language she spoke necessarily. So, you know, there is a lot of those tangents that you kind of run down. And part of it is in uh, a disclaimer where you say, we have no fucking clue how you actually pronounce it, but we hope we get it right. Yeah. This is the best we have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So So, uh, that's the advantage that books have. You don't have to pronounce them unless you're the reader. Yes. Yeah, and then you just pronounce them in your head, and then you hear somebody else say it, and you're like, I pronounced that totally differently. Or maybe they yeah. were wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I think if it's the author, you got to give it to them. Language is all made up. It's fine. <laughs> um, you know it. So you had kind of mentioned, like, COVID made you start thinking about shifting from book to podcast, but can you tell us what the transition from book to podcast really was, and who yeah. started it? <laughs> Well, um, it actually started with our uh, publishing company, Diversion Books, wanted to open up a sector of podcasts. And I, you know, I don't think my dad and I had ever thought about it because I listened to some podcasts. I don't think, Dad, you were really into podcasts that much. No, I couldn't wrap my brain around how you like monetize it. I thought it was just like people shooting the shit on a, in front of a microphone and like, why would you do Yeah, what else do you do? You just do it for fun. Um, and maybe maybe it helped sell a few books, but like Emily was a lot more uh, well-versed in, in the different types of podcasts and styles and the, and the book production company sort of knew the business side of that. So we kind of 
let them figure that out. Or at least I did. Yeah, my only experience. My only experience with podcasts was um, every year my group of friends, uh, these three other girls, we've been best friends since Girl Scouts as kids. We get together for a girls trip once a year to get to see each other, and we get pretty drunk and we read our old fan fictions around a microphone to each other. Oh my god. We would analyze like what does this say about us and our views on like feminism and relationships okay what genre of fan fiction <laughs> emily is way too into this i want to know about this dad i don't even think i told you about this um it's uh, it was the series maximum ride like uh sci-fi <laughs> not, not really sci-fi but that, uh, pa- that's patterson right Yes. So it was so because we published it as kids. We like put it online, not published, but it was online. So that was my experience with podcasts. Um, so that that was all I really knew. Mm-hmm. But we definitely learned a lot through the process. Um, we went through a lot of changes. At first, it was going to be more of a like scripted, like this is the story. And then um, it became more conversational over time. Um and so it was definitely a learning process because sometimes it would be when we really started out, it was like hours and hours of content in the studio. And I think that was a little bit made things too rigid. So we tended to not to mention the studio guys, girlfriend got COVID and we were all terrified of giving it to each other at the time. But then, but podcasts have uh, evolved over COVID also. Oh yeah. So it started out being more scripted and then, then became kind of like, Hey, show up with a drink and uh, just talk. Yeah. Speaking of, I brought three different drinks. I wasn't sure what drink we were doing. So I had like my emotional support water, my coffee, if it was a coffee thing, and then drink drinks. So honestly, we are a woman after my own heart right now. Also, we are equal opportunity drinkers. We're also, you know, it's if if you don't drink, if drinking's not your thing, that's totally fine. We're not going to force you. That just means I get more wine. I am not <laughs> drinking today. Um, I had a lot of coffee this morning, and if I have any more, I might actually start to be able to phase through walls. <laughs> so I'm taking a, <laughs> I'm taking yeah, you a guys break. Have done some coffee episodes before. Oh yeah, yeah. Sometimes we'll have to record on a Sunday morning, and I'm like, I'm not mm-hmm. drinking fucking wine. I'm getting my cheap Casey's <laughs> gas station coffee. Right. I'm gonna roll in here and I'm pretend I'm half alive. Right. You guys are actually covering the drinking for both of us because yeah. I have class after this. Yeah. So, sorry, I can't drink and go to class. Oh, that's I mean, all right. I've got to I've got to call a Canadian client and talk to him about a mattress company that's about to file bankruptcy. So. Oh, that's oh, you fun. don't say. Yeah, yeah. As Minnesotans, we get to we get to do that accent because it's also ours. It's not cultural appropriation. <laughs> No, no, I figure anything from the movie Fargo is fair game for you guys. Which is funny because it doesn't even, that doesn't even take place in Minnesota. Because like Fargo's, Fargo's in North, North Dakota, Dakota, but it's yeah, yeah, very but uh, Minnesota. But one of the characters isn't like, not, isn't, uh, I think one of the characters is from Minneapolis or they drive back from Minneapolis Probably. or something like that. I've never seen Fargo. Um, Good coverage, yeah, last time I was in Minnesota was, uh, in January to do a uh, I'm uh, sorry the World War II round table but it was kind of fun because in the south we just don't see that much snow it's like snow is kind of a theoretical thing like you know Mount Denali it's it's kind of out there but you don't it, you don't see it on a daily basis yeah, I we've, felt we've probably um, gotten a good four to five inches just today yeah I, I felt incredibly seen by the world so we had the Super Bowl in Minneapolis a couple of years ago 
mm-hmm. and just all of the tweets and social media response from celebrities and people coming to Minneapolis about how cold it was. I'm like, yes, feel my pain. Let it seep <laughs> into your veins. Like it I was, kind of does. I was so happy. Yeah. <laughs> so notable actor, uh, Natalie Emanuel from game of Thrones and fast and furious presents your podcast. How did you get connected with her? Um, diversion is, uh, our podcast company diversion are the ones who reached out to her. There was a number of people we got into contact with talking about helping host it, but we thought she would be an amazing fit because before she was on game of Thrones, she plays powerful women. Um, so they got us connected with her. She was really interested in the project and she just was so wonderful to work with. Um, she's so smart and she loves history. So she just was a great fit. Yeah, she um, uh, well, she got involved after like we'd recorded a few episodes where Emily and I were dropping Game of Thrones references all the time. And this was around the time that House of Dragons was coming out, but we were still trying to figure out which characters were which. So we just reverted back to what we knew. Sounds uh, right. <laughs> and then uh, they told us Natalie was going to going to work with us. And her, like history was her favorite subject in high school. I guess probably acne, too. But. Uh, so, so she just knew a lot of the characters that we were talking about. She knew a lot about some of them who we are doing upcoming episodes on, like, like, uh, Hatshepsut of ancient Egypt. She's one of her uh, favorite pharaohs. Um, you know, she knew, obviously she knew a lot about, uh, Margaret Thatcher, uh, mm-hmm. Queen Elizabeth, some of the, the Brits there. So she was just totally cool for it. And we, uh, talked a good bit about things like, fight scenes that she's done with, you know, Kevin Hart and others in like Army of Thieves and some of the stuff in Fast and Furious. So we just sort of kind of talked about how that sort of stuff relates to women who are fighters as well as women who are leaders. And then it just kind of kind of rolled on after that. But she was totally cool, kind of soft spoken, uh, but really fun. I, I I like I saw that when I first started listening and I was a little confused at first because I'm like, I I don't remember her being one of the authors, but I'm, I love the flow of it. I love her introductions. I also really love when she has the opportunity to give her personal experience, like with the Margaret, Margaret Thatcher episodes, like, well, what was your perception of that time? Or what are your relatives perceptions of that time? And she has a really unique perspective and it does fit in very, very well with the women you cover. And you all just seem to have like a really nice chemistry together. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh, she's, she is so fun. And, and you're right. Now, with Margaret Thatcher, that's almost the only person in the book who, you know, a lot of us either lived during that time frame or the tail end of her time frame. Uh, I think Natalie was born about the same time as Emily, maybe a little little before then. And um, and so, yeah, as a, in, in her case, as from a, coming from a working class family in England, a family of color, she's West Indies. Um, you know, she had a different perspective that we didn't have. And so, you know, on the American side of the pond, you see Margaret Thatcher or or other people like Winston Churchill, other Europeans like that in one light, but where they're, they're, uh, they're uh, you know, civilian, their economic, their civil rights decisions are important as well. 
you get a completely different uh, viewpoint. So that was so refreshing uh, that Natalie shared that with us. Mm -hmm. And it was really important to us too to to have those perspectives because we're not here to report on like girl boss, like war queen, yes girl, like everything they did was perfect. We're talking about women's rights, women's wrongs, like all the things that they did. And, and at first, when she was reading kind of like the spiel about Margaret Thatcher, I could tell she had a bit of a disdain for her. And I said, that's okay. Dig into that. Tell us how you feel. I don't want you to just sit here and be like, she's the best person ever. You know, people want to hear your opinions and, and your experiences with her or her legacy. So I loved that, that she was comfortable enough to share that. So that, that was amazing. I really like that too. Cause we have that a lot where we will just flatly say on our podcast, like we're not from there. So like she might be more well-known in your country or you might know things about her that we don't. And so being able to have that perspective. And we also always like to say that we show women's warts as well as everything they did. Well, we're not here to put someone on a pedestal because everyone makes mistakes. Everyone, you know, not everyone's going to do everything right all the time. So I love that you incorporate that into your podcast as well. It's also a it's also a really important relevant theme. Uh, I was actually just reading an article today about Elizabeth Holmes and how the this the archetypical lady boss who's just basically acting acting like an aggressive man, but it's like yeah, but if a man was doing this, he wouldn't get criticized. Yeah, no, he wouldn't, but maybe he should. And just how Elizabeth Holmes kind of used the fact that she was a woman in a male dominated industry as extra shielding for all of the crappy, crappy things she was doing and extra coding is like, no, 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 I'm just being a strong, empowered woman. It's like, no, you're, you suck. You're an asshole. Yeah. And you're telling people that they've been cured of diabetes when they haven't, maybe don't do those things. <laughs> but just yeah, the that idea that, you know, where's Prada to a new next level. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. All right, we're going to see. And we, we see a lot of those women who, you know, especially in the democratic age. So, you know, to some extent, Indira Gandhi, to a larger extent, Golda Meir, Margaret Thatcher, they, they have this, have to figure out the, the sweet spot where they can fit with the boys and get along. Because in, in a government where you have a lot of men, you've got to be able to get along with a, a certain number of them, the ones in the majority party usually. Uh, but you also have to be able to, you know, be true to yourself as a woman. You have to be, and and so they have to. They have a very fine needle to thread in a lot of ways. Absolutely. So switching topics just a little. Um, if you could meet any of the war queens you covered, your choice. If you want to go all of them in the book or just the ones you've covered so far in the podcast, but who would you want to meet the most out of your quaggle of queens? Yes. <laughs> Quaggle of quintessential queens. The word quaggle. We talked about that yes. a, a little bit earlier, and uh, she's uh, she's got a whole lexicon of words you do not find in the Oxford English Dictionary, but they're in the Emily Dictionary. So, Em, what do you think about uh, who would you most likely to meet, uh, assuming they were alive and healthy, yes. and not looking like a zombie? Well, assuming I can also speak their language. Um... I, this is probably the cliche answer, but Cleopatra is so fascinating to me. Um, she is like, you know, if we're going to keep up with the Game of Thrones references, the Daenerys of history. Oh, yeah. And I, I just think she's incredible. She spoke so many languages. She 
reveled in getting to study and party and taste all types of cultures and enjoy them with the people she loves. And I'm like, I want to know that bitch. And so I kind of want to party with that bitch. Right. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She she was the richest woman in the world, but richer than Oprah at her time probably the best educated and yeah she she would go listen to lectures in alexandria and then go gambling and go to bars with mark anthony she would love love college she would have yeah she would have she would have been the party like queen already president head of sga yeah oh and there's a lot of mystery and mythos surrounding cleopatra so it would be a really fascinating opportunity to get the chance to dig a little deeper into some of those things that being said i don't think cleopatra would give you a straight answer on anything oh she's always working something she's always working an angle yeah yeah a lot of illusions and distractions that she loves to to pull she would have done very well in vegas if you manage to cut through some of the uh the pr bullshit that every king or queen has with cleopatra you better have somebody there taking a sip out of your drink cup before you uh, toss it back. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> John, what about you? All right. This is an odd fit for a guy who's basically a Southern redneck lawyer who grew up <laughs> a Baptist. But Golda Meir, the 70-something Jew- Jewish bubby who chain-smoked cigarettes and didn't take shit off of anybody and thought, do we use atomic weapons against invaders and and, or, and organized and approved assassination squads? I just fell in love with her. I mean, she was one of those those grandmas who would outwork you and would would look at every look at things very clear headed. And she was unsentimental. Um, and maybe this is an opposite to track. I'm more the sentimental type. This is the person who said who actually advocated to David Ben Gurion. Uh, assassinating other Jews in the 1940s who were bringing down the wrath of the British Empire on them and getting in the way of Jewish statehood. She was uh, clear-headed. She was a a three-dimensional chess player at international politics, and she just had a skill set that just made me, you know, really, really impressed. Uh, She's from Milwaukee, so kind of a a Midwestern type. She's had... Uh, and uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think it'd have to be the the ultimate power bubby, uh, Golda Meir. Okay, I think that is a new uh, piece of merch that we all need to get for our grandmothers. Ultimate, ultimate power, power bubby. bubby. That is, uh, that's what I want to be when I grow up now. <laughs> but I, something that was interesting yeah. about uh, Golda Meir's story is there, there's this constant joke that women are in charge they're going to get their period and be over emotional and bomb everyone it's like she literally could have pushed the big red button and she didn't Mm -hmm. and i think that's always i was like i didn't know that like how many times in life can somebody break the nuclear taboo that's existed since 1945 and she had that opportunity and a pretty good one because at that time october 1973 Israel was being invaded, and Israel is not like, I mean, it's not a huge country. You can, it's, it's like Minneapolis to St. Paul almost yeah. and in traffic. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, she had that opportunity to change history, and she 
She didn't take it. Uh, she thought to the next step of what would the United Nations, what would the superpowers do? And she was, this was real 3D chess where she's thinking steps in advance. So anyway, that's that's why I fell in love with her unexpectedly. I, I thought there'd be somebody more conventional, but anyway, she was just a badass. And then are these the same women that you would follow into battle or is they, they're a different war queen that you're like, no, I feel like I'm going to be better off if I follow her into battle? Um, no, she, you know, she had a tendency to follow her, her beautiful, beautiful heart um, and the men, the men she was with. Um, and, and I do think Cle Cleopatra uh, definitely left Egypt on the wayside every now and then. It was a supporter of Rome's interests, given she didn't have many, much choice on that. But I would not have followed her into battle. I think possibly Queen Tamar would at least have prayed over me and made me feel really, really special <laughs> before dying for her. And she had a good track record as well. So um, Queen Tamar of the late 1100s, I think, would probably probably be my my Georgia leader so. yeah very yeah nice. with um you know it's hard to argue with victory and uh you know in 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 Golda's case they did win but they came out kind of bloody I think if I were picking a horse to back I'd probably go for Catherine the Great of Russia yeah. she was she was just on her game all the time she knew how to push other groups like the Ottoman Turks or the Poles into declaring war on her, and then she would kick their ass and then take some of their country, and then she'd do it again. And, you know, the upside of that is she's, she was, you know, really impressive as a war leader, as a manager. She knew how to run things from St. Petersburg that were going on thousands of miles away. The flip side to it is that she was so good that when she did things like annex the Crimean, or bite off a huge chunk of Poland, uh, later guys who did not qu quite have her level of class, like Joseph Stalin or Vladimir Putin, um, they did the same thing. And so you see her playbook in Poland followed by Stalin in 1939. You see Catherine's playbook in Crimea followed by Putin in 2014. And, you know, so she set a good example, made a great blueprint, but there are a lot of guys who followed who didn't have her finesse with it. And check it out that they're like copying her game plan too. I'm like, yes, queen. Like, right. Yes. I'm <laughs> like, I, yes, I copied queen. a lot of like Joan Rivers jokes in my day and <laughs> only gotten busted a few times. So it's all right. You know, it's just and more men taking good. credit for something a woman did and did better. Right. Your work <laughs> like. yeah. That's exactly what it is. I was uh, I was out to dinner with some people, including my boyfriend the other night, and I immediately I found the cocktail menu. I was like, oh, it's on the back here. It's hidden. And the server came over and my boyfriend had just turned over. He goes, oh, yeah, there it is. He goes, oh, I see you found the cocktail menu, sir. And I was like, bitch. <laughs> You're like, oh, actually, I recognize it. <laughs> it's a minor slight, but I was definitely a little irritated. Just saying. Did, did, he, did he hand him the tab at the end? Yes. So I'll, oh, I'll take that. I've actually, I've been, I've been out, um, with gentlemen where I've gotten like a, an old fashioned in Manhattan and they've gotten a soda and without question, they, said they put the drink in front of the man and I get the soda and I always, I'm not mean, but I always like, 
make a reach show over, yeah. take my drink, and <laughs> right. sip it while maintaining eye contact. You, you got, yeah, you got to do that. And it's that, it's that eye contact that says, hey, bitch, you see what you did? Yes, yeah, right. Um, all right, so what are y'all's favorite cocktails? Ooh, I love a lot of things with whiskey. So, like, Ma- yeah. so Manhattan's actually, I call it my family cocktail. My uh, my grandparents would always have their cocktail hour where they'd make Manhattans. And then so my parents drank them. And I remember my mom ordering them when I was little. And it always came with maraschino cherries. Yeah. And, I, and she didn't want it. So she would take the cherry out and make a big show of, you know, getting the liquor off and shaking it. <laughs> And then give it to me when she wasn't looking. I'd like dip it back in the drink. <laughs> Naughty Emily. Just to be a piece of shit. So again, this is why I couldn't write a book with my parents. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's like like a martini with a splash of vermouth kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah. So how about you? Um, I'm also a big whiskey fan. I would mm-hmm. probably say either an old fashioned or a whiskey sour. Kind of depending on you know, what I'm feeling. I, I've been I've been a whiskey fan or bourbon fan for a long time, and I just learned about martinis like two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, and so uh, I was uh, my wife and I were cooking, and uh, I, so I I made a martini, followed the recipe. She's she's Ukrainian Russian, so I made hers vodka martini shaken not stirred. I made mine gin martini stirred not shaken, since I got English ancestors. But we didn't have proper martini glasses. We just had these big margarita glasses. When I poured it in, according to the recipe, two and a half ounces yeah. of, of vodka or gin, half ounce of vermouth, then it looked like just a little spot. Yep. I thought, well, that's nothing. So I poured another one in there. And my wife, who's cooking and weighs like less than half I do, tossed it back. And then I thought afterward, you know, I didn't do the math. That's six ounces of booze right, right. there in one, like yeah. two drinks. So like, I probably anyway. should have told her it was a double. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. So I've I've gone back to something safer like either uh, rum or or old fashions where mm-hmm. the ice takes up like three quarters of the glass. Yeah, you're you're a brave man. I can't do gin. It it reminds me of pine salt, and I can't drink it. <laughs> that that's kind of what it is. It's just sort of an accelerator like yeah. vodka. Uh, we uh, we did have a bottle uh, of uh, Kvanchkara on uh, one of our podcasts. Uh, that's that's a Georgian wine. And uh, on the tomorrow episode, but uh, we also have to avoid drinking while doing the recording because uh, they're very touchy about their equipment. And the studio we were in banned Post Malone from ever coming back because he spilled like a beer on their their control table. So, you know, when he sings hundred thousand dollars on the tabletop. That's that could be it. Oh yeah. my god! Easily, yeah. Mr. Maloney, unprofessional. <laughs> Mr. Free Maloney, yes. I would never expected that from him. From oh no, gentlemen, no. So Emily, what's what? Yeah, what's your, your cocktail, cocktail of choice? Uh, just probably something horribly sweet. I know my dad won't believe me, but I never like. I, I think the only drink I ever had, like underage in high school or whatever, was um, my now fiance gave me a beer while we were on like a boat day and I poured it into the lake because it was so yeah, gross. Okay, gross. beer sucks. I'm not a beer yeah. person. Mm-hmm. So Especially I don't have, cheap beer. Yeah. yeah. I don't have good taste for anything. So probably just like a, a rum and Coke or something. The nice stuff is like, is my. Well, well Emily, you turned 21 during COVID and mm-hmm. we couldn't go bar crawling. So her uh, friends got together 
at our house and made the names of bars near the University of Kentucky in all of the different rooms. And they had a, a country Western theme, a hip hop theme in each of the rooms and they serve different drinks for her. So oh, that that's was her, awesome. Her that is bar crawl. That is the sweetest 21 year old celebration I have yeah. ever heard in my life. It was so sweet. It was my sister. It was Rachel who did that. Dad. And uh, my brother was like the bouncer in front of all the bars. And, and yes. oh, that's funny. anytime I tried to go to the bathroom, he'd make me stand in line for 10 minutes. <laughs> He's like, no, you need this experience. So, yeah. so since turning 21 in 2020, have you been able to go out and experience bars? Maybe just a little bit. Maybe just one drink after. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I have experienced it. Okay, I, I was just, I was just gonna say, you know, that actually might have been a huge uh, benefit to you because when you're 21 going to bars, it's you rack up the stupid bar stories very very quickly, yeah. like <laughs> like they're Pokemon cards. It's it's ridiculous, and you know, at, at least for me, it took me a few years to kind of get my confidence to tell people to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you're a little older you're a little wiser and now you're going out to the bars you can be like excuse me sir kindly fuck off please right um, oh no i have that i have all the psych ward confidence imaginable my job is to ask That's people right. do you want to kill yourself I, i'll walk up to anyone and be like move stop doing that i'm walking through here i love <laughs> it i love it emily's becoming nurse ratchet no we, we had no we had it we had a discussion today where we're we're i don't know how we got on this tangent was is Nurse Ratchet a bad nurse or a good nurse? And we could either go the Sarah Paul. The answer route, might surprise you. <laughs> or the or the Jack Nicholson film route. Now on the on the uh, War Queens podcast, I spoke out in defense of medieval eye gouging in one episode. So Emily, you're you're on terra firma with with giving us the good points about Nurse Ratchet. Very quickly. I'm not going to defend all of her actions. You know, we, we, I'm talking about movie version, but movie version nurse, nurse Ratched goes off the deep end at the end. We know that, but she set some fair limits throughout the movie. I think some of her rules weren't that bad, like having to keep the routine of the psych ward. Like maybe we don't throw it off to watch the game. I would have let them watch the game, but understanding some patients need routine mm -hmm. um, or when things get too rowdy, we need to, we need to chill out. Um, that that's how people get 60 pound chairs thrown up. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, I won't go too long on that tangent, but I, she had some points, not all points. Right. Well, she's like, like many of your war queens, she's yeah. complicated and she doesn't do everything right, but <laughs> there, there are high points. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So at the end of each of your episodes, and I love this part, you score the war queen that you covered. Can you tell us and our listeners just a bit more about how you guys evaluate them and that score that they get? Because like we just said, they're all yeah. very complicated as individuals. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a complicated we, process. Emily, you're the tough grader. You want to go first? Yes, I'm, I'm the Simon Cowell of the panel. I'm but, here uh, for it. Well, one thing I worried about when doing this system was like, I don't like to put numbers on women. Like that sounds like immediately like a hateful thing to do. And, and so I'm very much hoping our listeners understand this is a like scoring them at how good they are at their jobs, not they are as right. people or as women, of course. Um, so I took into account how hands-on they are, you know, how, whether it is physically fighting in battle with the scimitar and the battle ax and all that, a lot of points there. 
because that has a certain level of like I'm willing to die with my people. Mm -hmm. So like Jenga. Yeah, Jenga is a great example. Mm -hmm. um, Katarina Sforza definitely got into some some trouble herself. I loved her. Um, also, you know, how involved were they in the logistics, in the planning, in the politics, and all the things that have to go into winning a war is what I wanted to look at for sure. Um, Dad, what were your, your main points? All right. So I'm, I'm mostly the Paula Abdul of the uh, scoring. <laughs> You're the, you showed up, you get points. Okay. That is also <laughs> me with everything. I'll never leave you a bad review You're unless someone's get... racist to me. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Great food. Could have done without the racism though. Right. Right. Maybe one and, less and slur we'll, next time. And we'll see you in the war of Austrian succession next time. Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, uh, you know, there, there are a couple things. One, one of them that Emily and I talk about is, you know, how you got to grade women or men by how they were acting in, in the context of their times. Now, obviously, there's a lot that we would do differently if we were living back then, or maybe we wouldn't. You know, if we were living back in the 1600s, probably uh, die of the plague. People. And if the people I would have still been a menace. Yeah. And if Burned the as a witch. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and so you got people who did some horrible things. Jingo, we love, but she did some next level shit that you don't see in horror films. Yeah. But if she were alive today, she probably wouldn't. So, you know, part of it is cutting back through the, you know, sometimes repulsion, sometimes like, you know, wow factor, and, and remembering that in the context of their times, this is the way they were acting. So, for instance, um, uh, you know, Jinga is a good example. She hung out with uh, the Mbangala, a bunch of basically baby killing cannibals, and they did some some really horrible stuff. Uh, but that was in their part of the world, their their time. And so we don't really take points off for that. Uh, Cleopatra had a lot of people poisoned. Um, the eye gouging story came out of uh, the time of Queen Tamar in the 1100s in the Caucasus Mountains of Georgia, where they didn't have long term penitentiaries. If you are a burglar, we can chop your head off and that's it. Or we can gouge your eyes out and then you're not going to go burgle anyone else. So, right. you know, so so there's some of that, like peeling back the times and not forgiving them and not certainly not saying we would condone it today, but but at least saying you got to take that into account. Um, the second part is uh, how are they good at managing the political side? Because. Wars, uh, say Catherine the Great, um, those were fought hundreds of miles away, and most of these women did not have an ounce of military training. And in many ways, that's what made them so valuable, because they were not just smart enough to be dangerous. They would do their thing, um, which was stick to the political objectives. They would tell the military guys who were the professionals, here's what I want, and I will let you figure out how to get it. And the ones that meddled tended to have more difficult times. Boudicca is an example. Yeah, yeah. One of my one of my favorite stories was uh, when you were covering Indira Gandhi on the podcast, and she has this military objective, and there are a, there's a lot swirling around it. Everyone, please go listen to the episode after this because it's fantastic. And one of her generals is like, this is a terrible idea. You hired me 
to win and I will do that for you. But if this is what you want to do, we're not going to win. And, you know, she's known for being kind of like, oh, oh, hell no. Don't you fucking come into my house and be telling me what to do. But she listened to him. She's like, do you really are is what you're telling me the truth? And he's like, yeah, of course I will win for you, but you need to listen to me. And she's like, yeah, cool. That's why I hired you. But just that openness and that willingness to collaborate and listen to others. And I just, I don't know, I love that because I think we could all take a lesson. (laughs) Right. Like if you don't know what you're doing, if you're not trained in whatever aspect and someone that is, is telling you like, hey, your idea might not be the best idea. It might kill a lot of people that you care about. Like the fact that she can step back and be like, oh yeah, okay, you're right. Like I hired you to do this. You do know more than me on this topic. Well, and then even she's like, okay, if that's the case, then I'm going to go back and hold off the political floodgates for a minute while we wait for the good, the best opportunity for this. Right. That is so true. And, you know, if we look at the cinematic moments in movies, you know, you look at what you you look at Daenerys and she's like got this big stone map and she just points to it and says, we go to King's Landing. And in movies about Napoleon and Julius Caesar, yeah. same things like we march here. They, they, they have to cut through all of the hard work and the compromises and the, and the listening to advice and, uh, and and the logistics. And so when you when you really get into women like, say, Manduhai, the Mongols, who sent her her foot troops out in advance. She sent her supplies out in advance. And then she came on with the horse troops afterward because they were going to catch up. And she she had to think of logistics. Those are the kinds of things you get into. And you look at these women who were able to juggle the different factors, political, logistics, military, and combine them into one whole. And then you find out, you know, the ones who really are worthy of our admiration. Yeah. So we've touched on a lot of women uh, of antiquity. You know, we got Margaret Thatcher, Indira Gandhi, and um, Golda Meir in there. But a lot of these women are from times and worlds and places that we just can't even quite imagine anymore. What kinds of challenges do you encounter when trying to research these war queens, especially those of antiquity? Right. Besides the name pronunciation and the potential (laughs) unknown languages. Okay, here's my headcanon. Cleopatra is not pronounced anywhere near that it's something totally (laughs) different all the consonants are silent like we've got it so wrong (laughs) well y'all touched on that a part of what y'all enjoyed about our book was how we bring the culture to bring the history to life Mm -hmm. um you know talking about osiris the gods the landscapes the cities um that was a great compliment. That was actually more of a way to supplement the parts of history we were missing <laughs> is the funny thing. It, maybe not as much as our craft, but, you know, there's a lot of places where we're like, we have to say, okay, well, you know, what would she have worn? You know, we have to think about, we don't know what she wore in a battle that day, maybe, but we know at the time, this is what her, you know, the other history books say people would wear of high status. So a lot of the research, um, for these things comes from just researching the culture. Um, and, you know, sometimes that was watching like video clips from different sources to see, okay, well, this is the horses they rode. These are the places they visited. Um, and it was fun. We got to do a little bit of travel research. I remember we were in, um, dad, where, where did we go? We went to London and oh we saw God. like the big statues and, um, oh yeah. Yeah. 
and like going a theater, to the... and, you know, because because she was doing her thing down in uh, like Su- Suffolk, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of there around the town, she burned. We, we went to where she burned down Londinium, uh, London. So uh, you can still see some of the ruins of her like going totally not not even medieval. I'm not sure what you call it. She went like <laughs> pre medieval on them. Yeah. So um, definitely there's some war queens that are unfortunately a lot of their their story is lost to history. Um, we had to. Sorry, I think a cat just attacked my dog. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, that's my house. <laughs> I think they're good, though. Um, anyway, but uh, a lot of these women, their stories are lost and shrouded in history. So we had to scrap a few sadly going into this book and the other ones we just had to definitely lean into that historical context are, yeah, are there the, some of these um, oh sorry go ahead john no, go ahead. No, go for oh it. I, I was just gonna <laughs> ask if there, if there are some of these uh women that you weren't able to find as much content on uh for the book are they maybe going to be mentioned in the podcast ever um yes awesome. <laughs> the answer is yes hot chops was was definitely one of those we at first, you know, going into the deadline of the book, we were like, we may not have enough, um, maybe enough history, but not enough war history. So over time, we've gotten to gather a bit more content. So well, yeah, Hatshepsut's one of my favorite and, and one of Emily's favorite. She was the original kind of uh, the woman who had to appear in her public stuff as a man. She had to have a fake beard and basically go out, go around as king. But uh, we talked to But the question is, did she have a military career? And there's some um, pictures of her like kicking ass and the down down in the the Kush area, basically mm-hmm. uh, Sudan. And um, so while she's whooping up on the the folks in the Upper Nile, you know, it, it's hard to tell if she was really doing that or if that's like political propaganda, like you know North Korea's dictator. So we talked to this uh, professor named Kara Cooney. She's at uh, UCLA, an Egyptologist. She basically says, I'm an 18th dynasty gal, and she like knows everything about that era. And after talking about it a bit, we concluded, and she concluded, we really don't know. And it's mm-hmm. it's like the question of what did Cleopatra look like? Um, you know, as Stacey Schiff points out in her book, we really don't know. And so we do have to fill in some gaps. Sometimes you go with the story that is fun as long as you admit that we're going with the story that's fun. Right. So like, like our boy Herodotus, the father of history, also known as the father of lies, he like tells us that Tamiris, who's fighting Cyrus the Great, she had told him, she warned him if he invaded her, her country, that she would give him more blood than he could drink. And so she has this battle, she kicks his ass, he's dead, she fought, has his corpse located, and basically brings the corpse to a sack filled with human blood and shoves the head into the sack and said, see, I've given you your fill of blood. So perhaps the only drinking we don't condone on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We found our line. (laughs) Exactly. So, so, you know, but, but Herodotus even said, Hey, there are a lot of different versions of how Cyrus the great was killed and how he died, but uh, here's the one I like best. So, you know, we, we said that in, in fairness, that, yeah, it's a, it's a scene out of uh, HBO's True Blood. Right. Yeah, and we, we, we've covered women like that, like Olga, Olga of Kiev. 
Uh, she's got quite the intense, uh, revenge story and it may or may not be all entirely true, but God, it's a fun story to tell. (laughs) Oh, totally. You get some of these women who just really go like major brutal on people. And then, then you have some of them that, you know, are, are more standard, but they may have been an amalgamation of other people, like, like for instance, Lagertha from uh, Vikings, uh, played by uh, Catherine Winnick on the other side of the border from you guys. Um, the, the, the Lagertha of legend may have been kind of more like King Arthur. We sort of think that that person existed, but they probably didn't do everything. And so some of that stuff, um, we ended up uh, having to, uh, to leave on the cutting room floor. So, so women like Al Kahina, the Berber uh, rebel. Um, there's. It's harder to find stuff on the Trung sisters of Vietnam who were kicking mm-hmm. ass against the uh, Han dynasty in China. Um, you know, there's a lot of those. Uh, oh, yay, Asantewe, um, from, <laughs> that you guys have is covered. She, Asantewe, yeah. is she the Panther Queen? You know, because I, I feel uh, like no, we've we, covered we did her. cover her. But yeah, I don't know. Oh no, no, she's the golden stool woman from uh, Ghana. <gasps> yes. The British- yeah, 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 I covered her. Yeah, yeah now I remember yeah, yeah, it. Exactly. Oh, my God. It was a great episode. So, you guys uh, were drinking coffee that day. So yeah, it's probably, it was probably a Sunday morning. <laughs> That's why I don't remember it as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, we've... But, uh, go ahead. Yeah. No, it's just that there are some of these some of these women that you go, hey, they sound really amazing, but can we really say for sure, uh, not well, for a book, but for a podcast? Hell yeah. Right. Yeah. And either way, I think, you know, we're obviously going to report everything as true as we can. We're going to try not to write anything down unless we have a good source. But um, I, it's important these stories get out anyway. You know, even if there's a little bit of doubt, it's important for, you know, anyone to be able to see themselves doing something amazing. Maybe not as horrible as some of right. these women. <laughs> but, but I think about, you know, representation, seeing, you know, either a woman or a person who identifies as a woman or someone who just doesn't identify as what history tells us is the normal, AKA a man. It's so important to see yourself there. Um, I think about like, have, did y'all ever watch house of dragon? I, I didn't. I, I no. the only Sorry. game of Thrones I've seen <laughs> is when Kelly and her husband were watching some of it. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't think I'm emotionally going to ever be stable enough to get through all of this because <laughs> yeah. it is pretty Fair. devastating. I'm going to go watch Frasier for the billionth time. <laughs> Fair. I, I'll, I'll summarize as like my favorite theme recently of, of seeing something is like it, it takes a young girl who, you know, her whole life she doesn't think she's going to get to be the, the ruler, the queen of Game of Thrones world. And suddenly it's kind of thrust upon her that this mm-hmm. is her destiny. And I look at that versus maybe a young man that's told their whole life, this is your destiny. You can do this. You will be great. And what that has to do psychologically to your oh, yeah. brain and what that means in terms of responsibility, of capability. And then I take that one extra step. And I don't know if y'all are following this because my train talk is over. Think about, you know, young men being told their whole life, you're going to be good at sports. I'm going to give you a football at the age of one years old when you can't even do anything with it. You're going to be told you're going to be good at sports. You're going to go into politics. You're going to get every promotion. 
and then people who don't identify as a man and you know obviously we're we're fortunate enough to live in a society where there's more opportunities coming up for everyone but like think about that like being told your whole life you will do this you can do this versus okay now you can do this so right. Uh, that that's that a, no, 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 that's an sense. excellent point. Just the social conditioning that children undergo based on perceived gender or mm-hmm. like when you yeah. get down to it on sex where it's like, oh, you have this genitalia. Therefore, this is your <laughs> destiny. Right. Yeah. And and even even as, uh, you know, people trying to be aware of it, how it can just kind of happen. You know, like I, I worked with kids for a very, very long time. And every now and then I would catch myself like falling into the the old stereotypes. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, 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 don't go there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they even touched sure. on it in The Crown. I don't know if you guys watched The Crown at all, but they did mm-hmm. it, you know, when Elizabeth's dad took over and then Elizabeth didn't really want to be queen. And they were like, you have to be queen. But Margaret was like, but I want to be queen because I'm really like, I'm the outgoing one. And Elizabeth's like, please let her be queen. And they're like, no, you're first born. <laughs> And so, yeah. like, and so, yeah, sometimes it wasn't even genitalia. It was, you were, you were born first. You, you had potentially the unfortunate, you know, yeah, luck how, of the draw to be born first. And now this is your destiny, whether you want it or factors not. factors determine who you have to be and what you have to do. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, any critical thought put into it just reveals how absurd it is. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, the, the, stories are so important because I think everyone should get to see themselves doing something amazing that can history yeah preach um so what do you what would you say is the key and there can be more than one answer to this there can be a a set of keys we can have a key ring but what would be the on the set of keys to being a successful war queen you know just in case someone wants to be one I mean, we, we can. I mean, we just can in case anyone's, you know, padding their resume for future job prospects. What <laughs> one of them's got to be um, knowing knowing when to bring in the experts and when not to defer to them. And we've got a lot of examples of women who say who, who would overrule their experts. Um, for instance, Golda uh, was told right before the Yom Kippur War, we need to launch a preemptive first strike. The uh, Syrians and the Egyptians are about to invade us. Let's go hit them before they hit us. And she said, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, They said, let's assemble our atomic weapons and get ready to use them because we might get overrun. She said, no, I'm not going to do that. They even came to her for operational questions, like should we move large numbers of troops to the Egyptian front or keep them on the Syrian front? And she would make those decisions. But there are also a lot of women like, Y'all mentioned uh, Indira Gandhi, who knew when to stay in her lane. And and I don't like the word stay in your lane because lanes tend to be fairly well-defined. And in wars, the the lines are just not that well-defined. But uh, knowing when when to set the objectives and insist on them, but then knowing when to defer to your underlings as to how they get those objectives accomplished is one of those things that a lot of these successful women did. Them, what do you think? I think you'd have to break it down into ancient warfare and modern warfare a little bit. Uh, ancient warfare, while we may not know as much about the history of it, it's, I would say, a little bit less complicated. It came down to a lot more what I call the cinematic movie moments of, you know, conjuring up a sign from the gods and, um, 
you know, clandestine meetings and, and things like that. Um, so if it's ancient warfare, it's know your moments in history, for sure. Um, going further in history, I would say, you know, just being a figurehead that is uniting to your people, that is accept accepting of your people. We talk, you know, we talked plenty about Jenga, but I, what I love about her story is that she took on several different cultures and religions, did not see them as mutually exclusive, saw them as, oh, cool opportunity. You're yeah. gonna get more people on my side. And and she brought people together. And, and I think, obviously, I think war is bad. You know, we write these books about war. I, I think it's always horrible and a crime, but if, if you're gonna go into that, I, I think uh, unity is so important, um, especially in modern times. So unity. Very well thought out answers. It's almost yeah. like you've written a book on a similar subject. Yeah. <laughs> People keep telling me that. Um. So throughout this whole adventure, both the book and the podcast, what do you feel like you've gotten out of it or learned from these women as you've researched them? I think for me, writing about women who were like sometimes in their late teenage years and early 20s has made me be like, what am I doing watching okay. yep. Real Vampire quick, Diaries at home? Your whole story that you started writing this book as a sophomore, I ha I'm like, what am I, I doing? Like, what, where, what is my life? So that is incredibly objective. Yeah. It was either that or have, or do the vacuuming. Yeah, yeah. Um, fair choice. I, yeah, I mean, I have these conflicting views of like uh, working in psych. I'm like, Please, there is always time for what you want in life is, is what I preach to people. But there's also like, on the other hand, what I learned from this book is, you know, there's, there are these women who are like riding horseback pregnant to claim Vatican City yeah. in a capital and uh, going into battles and shoving their way into meetings that they are not supposed to be at. Um, I, I think what I've learned from that is like, you know, while the world is very different, there are still opportunities to change things. You shouldn't just assume because the world is so big that you can't make an impact because these, these women were making incredible moves in a time when everything was so. It could also be seen as a mark of progress that we are no longer having to force our way into meeting rooms or ride into battle uh, pregnant. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just to get noticed. Yeah. yeah. This right. is why we're in favor of maternity leave. <laughs> right. Because that's what happens when you don't have it. <laughs> Pregnant ladies on horseback coming for you. <laughs> you know, the, the two the two things that jumped out at me about uh, a lot of these women, um, one of them, the mo to me, the most surprising was that given a particular situation where they have the, the weight of their people, on their shoulders, they tend to act a lot like. And you, you, let's hold out, hold aside the outliers. You got liars. You got some uh, guys who are just terrible rulers, like Peter the Third of Russia, um, Catherine's crazy husband, yeah. uh, people like that. But if you hold them aside, uh, the women in power have tended to behave fairly similarly to how men would act given those particular circumstances where they felt war was necessary. Uh, we like to talk about Kipling's uh, poem, The Female of the Species, where his, he keeps saying over and over, the female of the species is de the deadliest by far. 
And I don't think we found that the female of the species was the deadliest necessarily, but they were definitely deadly enough to do the job when they had to. And they they were they took they took their responsibilities very seriously. They did not shy away from war when they felt it was in the, the interest of their country, but they also didn't go looking for it. So that was one thing that jumped out. The other one was these women had a massive work ethic. I mean, every single one of them, you know, we, we, we think about the times where we see them giving a speech or waving or Margaret Thatcher sitting on a tank or, or whatever it is. But before those cinematic moments, there was a tremendous amount of work that went into their, their politicking, their coalition building, their looking at economics and looking at logistics. And uh, I mean, damned if my hat's not off to every one of them, whether they won or not, for the effort, the work that they put into it. And you can't shortchange hard work. Uh, you got to have luck. You got to have a lot of things, but hard work is kind of the, the starting point for a lot of these women in power. Yeah, that's a great point. And all I could think of when you were talking about the female species being the most deadly and you don't think it's true, I agree with you on that. I think what it is is the female of the species is the most underestimated. So we that's, see that would make a great poem. Like, so we seem more deadly because people aren't expecting it from women. Yes, that's right. They're, they they tend to go under the radar. That's why Emily was talking about, I think it was with maybe Tamar, how like, you know, with the Ottoman Turks, if there's a succession crisis, the brothers all kill each other. But the women tend to fly under the assassination radar because they're underestimated. I, 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 if Kipling were around now, he would write the female of the species is terribly underrated. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> We're changing poems. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to like go. make that parody now. The female <laughs> of the species. <laughs> All right. Well, that was our last question, and I I just want to thank you both so much for joining us and taking the time to speak with us, and you know, diving into our chaotic a little chaotic world a little more because obviously your podcast is very lovely and well produced and much more professional Fancy. and you can it's, it's, it's more pinky up than ours is. you can pronounce all the all the words in the countries correctly and you're not sitting there on mic being like how the f there's so many consonants <laughs> excellent excellent Good editing. um is there anything else you want to say before we end the episode you know We'll be continuing to look through more stories about women, and hopefully we can come back and talk about some of the best of the rest. But uh, there, what you guys are doing in terms of publicizing, you know, people, not just from, you know, military stories, but the, the, the stories that you bring out on your podcast, I got to say my hat's off to you because you, you really do a great job of just digging in, finding some gem and dusting it off. And as a historian, I love to see that because and, and you guys have probably found times when you come across a story and you go, this is all gold and I'm loving it. And I'm happy that I found this. I can't wait to dust it off, polish it up and put it on the podcast. So keep doing what you're doing because uh, my hat's off to you. Absolutely, I agree. That means so much to us yeah, coming really, from people really who coming from people who actually know what they're doing. That that compliment's worth its weight in gold. Thank right. you so much. <laughs> and please keep doing what you're doing. Your podcast is excellent. Is. And can you please tell our listeners where they can find you and where they can listen to your Majesty? Of course. 
first. So really anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, Apple and Spotify. And- iHeart. Um, gosh, well, you know, the, the, the producers told us, like, here's the list you got to say. Fuck if I remember it. So, so it's just probably, yeah, Natalie was in charge of that. Probably anywhere <laughs> so. you find us, you can probably find them. You're right, right. So immediately after this episode... Look up War Queens, like, subscribe, follow, do the all the good warm fuzzies because God damn it, these women did not go to war just so you could not give them a review. Exactly. <laughs> it's the least you could do. <laughs> do you know how many people died? Come on. Uh, anywhere on social media? Uh, yeah, War Queens podcast, uh, Diversion Pods highlights us too. Yeah, they're on Insta. Uh, Natalie sometimes throws up some uh, her stories on Insta, but yeah. I have yet to get that elusive follow from Natalie, but maybe I'm holding that follow. One day. (laughs) That's a little. She's been working with Francis Coppola on like a big film with, uh, I think it's Adam Driver. She's busy. She's probably not on social media. Yeah, okay. That's fair. I was just going to be like, I might have to have a word with Natalie. (laughs) I mean, we'll share all your handles when uh, the episode releases. This will be in the episode description. Yep. Oh, thanks. Well, Emily, John, our favorite daughter-father writing podcast team, thank you so much for joining us for a very special episode of Wine About Herstory. And Ladybug, (laughs) a special guest. She escaped. Oh, my God. She is just... Emily's news. I'm dying. I cannot deal. She's so cute. Uh, What are we doing? What is this? This is a podcast. The outro. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to a very special episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. I'm John. And that's Ladybug. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash herstory.